Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today.
band, thanks for singing with us. You can have a seat. And just last December, Sophia decided to invite Jesus Christ into her life as her Lord and her Savior. And she's here today to make that public to all of us through her baptism. Sophia, is that true? Have you invited Jesus Christ yes. in your life as your Lord and your Savior? Yes, Wonderful. Based on your testimony, it really is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This guy right here is Joe Flanagan, and it was also in December of 2018 that Joe invited Jesus Christ into his life as his Lord and his Savior. Now, Joe, I understand that you've trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and lead your life. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Based on your testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. some introductions. This is Javier, and this is Colleen, and this is their son's girlfriend. Their son is serving in, with the Marines in California, and this is his girlfriend who's here today. Javier, I understand that you invited Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and your Savior, and you want to make that public thus through your baptism today. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Based on your testimony, it really is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. when she invited Jesus Christ into her life as her Lord and her Savior. Colleen, I understand that you've invited Jesus Christ to lead your life, to forgive you of your sins, and yes. you're following him with everything you got. Is that correct? That is correct. Based on your testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> and this is Jenny Menzavar. And when Jenny, uh, two years ago or so, Jenny invited Jesus Christ into her life as her Lord and her Savior, and she wants to make that public to all of us through her baptism. I understand that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You've trusted in him to forgive you of your sins. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Based on your testimony, it really is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. This is Don Woods, and a number of years ago, Don invited Jesus Christ into his life as his Lord and his Savior, and he really wants to make that public to all of us through his baptism today. Now, Don, I understand that you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to lead your life. Is that correct? Yes. Based on your testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. introduce my friend Delano DeShields Jr. to you and you might recognize the name Delano DeShields. Delano plays for the Texas Rangers and I've gotten had a privilege of getting to know Delano over the past five years as I've gotten to serve as the chaplain for the team. And I love this guy. He's an awesome guy and I've got to see him grow spiritually in great ways and this gentleman to his right is Tony Beasley who I love this guy also. Tony serves as the third base coach for the Rangers and I think more importantly than the third base coach 
Tony serves as really a spiritual mentor to Delano, a great friend, and has walked closely with him in his spiritual journey. So Tony has the privilege of being a part of Delano's baptism today. Delano, I know that just a couple years ago, you invited Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and your Savior, and I'm so proud of you. And I am thrilled for you, and it's been an honor to watch you grow and develop in this. Uh, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins and lead every part of your life? Yes, sir. My friend, it really is a privilege and pleasure for Tony and I to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone who calls Lake Point Church home has a role in our missions efforts. Anyone can join us in praying, giving, and going as we serve our mission partners locally, nationally, and internationally. Lake Point Church has been one church with two languages since we launched our Lake Point and Espanol campus in 2013. Recently, a team from LPE traveled to Guatemala to serve with our international partner, Vida Real Church. Lake Point has helped us uh, with that uh, financially and with the teams of people come down. We're really thankful for what Lake Point is, does for us. And, um, you know, it's, they've always come. They're always there. Lake Point has sent multiple teams to Guatemala to serve, but this is the first international trip for many of those in our LPE ministry. At the beginning, I felt really excited about it, uh, but then fear start, started coming. I, there were moments I had doubts if it, this is what really what God wanted me to do. But at the end, God put everything in place for me to be able to come to this trip. So I have been uh, with Laypoint Church in Ghana, Haiti, Mexico, and now in Guatemala. This trip is very unique because I can speak Spanish and the connection with the people is great and everything flowing much better. Lenin Rodriguez is a native Guatemalan and is now serving on the Lake Point staff in our LPE ministry. He is leading the team from Lake Point in Espanol as they serve in his home country. Coming back is actually good experience in a way that I know some of the, the country, but not areas like this. And now that I come to, to areas like this that, you know, you can really see more of what people in need need. And with the experience that we actually are doing, installing those uh, home kits, it's, it's very overwhelming at times. The mission work began long before the team boarded the plane. This ministry raised more than $10,000 to purchase home kit supplies and provide support for those who could go and do the work. Uh, for Lepo en Español, it has been an experience not for just the people that are here, but the people, everybody that had contributed is not like they're gonna go and they're gonna do that. It's actually, we are gonna make this happen. It has been a blessing to be able to bless these people. It has been amazing. God has um, really shown me that His love and His grace is greater than anything that I could have imagined. I also want you to be in prayer for 10 of our people who will be going to Haiti this week to do construction projects there, and also seven people who are going to do medical mission with our partnership churches in Ghana. So you be in prayer for them as they're on mission, even as you are on mission this week. Hey, a special welcome to those of you who are guests. If you are a guest today, you received a handout when you came in. 
inside that handout, there's a tear-off that says guest info. And we invite you to fill that out sometime during the service. And you can either place that in the offering plate as your offering today, or you can drop it at the black boxes at all the exits if the offering plate gets by you before you can get that filled out. Or you can just drop it by the Connection Center. That's the place that you go if you have any questions about today's message or about Lake Point. We're there to help you. So hope you'll come by, introduce yourself, and drop off that guest info sheet. Also, I want everyone to open up their worship guide right now and look on the back side of the guest info sheet because there's an opportunity for you to sign up to ride our Sunday morning shuttle. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, I thought we canceled that about three months ago. We did. And then last Sunday, we had only four empty parking spaces on our parking lot. So you have done a great job of inviting your friends and your neighbors to come to church, and it has created a problem for us. So thank you for that. You are also the solution to that problem. I need 200 families today to sign up to ride the shuttle for a year while we fix that and create some more parking on our, on our lot. And it's going to take us about that long to do that. And so uh, would you consider... Uh, going to Lowe's, uh, the shuttle starts at 8.45 and runs to 12.45 every day. When you pull your car up, you can get right out of your car, right on a shuttle van. It will bring you right to the door and let you out. Really pretty convenient. But I don't want you to do it because it's convenient or because it's cool. I want you to do it to make room for others. So if you will at least consider doing that, would you clap right now so I can see that you're going to consider riding the shuttle? I'm taking names as you're clapping right now. Don't make me get up here next week and ask for this again. I need 200 families to make a one-year commitment. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now I want to invite you to stand. Why don't you greet those around you and then just remain standing as we continue to worship together. So, so good to me. 
Amen. You can be seated. Continue to sing with us, but the ushers are going to come forth and take the offering. as we sing out to our Lord that not for a minute did he forsake us that he's been faithful that he is with us
Amen. Thank you all for singing. You can go ahead and have a seat. across our nation this weekend and tomorrow we'll be celebrating the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. If he was alive today, he would have been 90 years old this year. And what a great legacy of reconciliation that he has left as he sought to end injustice and to uh, seek for equality for a large group of people. And he did so in a peaceful way that was modeled after the life of Jesus Christ. Every year when this occasion comes, it reminds me the, our need to recommit ourselves to that same task. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we're to be that. And that's not only to reconcile people with their God, but also help people reconcile to one another. And we need to be peacemakers. We need to be the adult in the room. We need to be the first one to reach across the aisle to extend reconciliation. I really do believe that Christians ought to lead this effort. Don't you? Don't you? <laughs> a great reminder and a great time to recommit ourselves to uh, racial reconciliation. Uh, this is a, a unique uh, weekend for another reason. It's the first time in a very long time that the Dallas Cowboys have not been playing on Sunday. And uh, no, don't clap about that. Uh, you know, I, I thought this week, how in the world did uh, one of the top defenses in the NFC go from that to playing one of the very worst games they ever played on defense. And we had a little bit of that story revealed when last week in the Dallas Morning News, it, it, a story was published that the Los Angeles Rams actually learned what our defensive signals were. And so about 90% of the time they could predict by watching those signals and by watching the way that our defense lined up what scheme we were going to be in. In fact, there was a great quote from the center of the Los Angeles Rams. Here's what he said. He said, they have good players, but we felt scheme-wise that we had a lot of tips and tells on what they were going to do. Now, it's real obvious if you know what the other team is going to do before they do it, you have a better chance of winning, don't you? And we were in a series called Schemes, and we're talking about our enemy, the evil one, Satan, and the schemes that he runs over and over again, and if we'll pay attention to that, if we can know the schemes that he's gonna bring against us, it increases the possibility that we're going to win. And we began last week by talking about a scheme called accusation. Uh, one of the Bible's descriptions of Satan is that he's the great accuser, and Pastor Josh did a great job reminding us that Satan tries to use our past failures against us to defeat us and to discourage us, to give us a lie that says you are what you do or what you have done. And today we turn the page to a second scheme of Satan's and that scheme is isolation. Now I want you to help me as we begin today by filling in a blank for me. Divide and, now see we all know that don't we? That's one of the typical old tried schemes that if we can divide our enemy we can conquer our enemy. And that's what Satan tries to do against us. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter. And we're gonna begin reading there in just a moment in verse nine. Ecclesiastes, fourth chapter. If you don't happen to have a Bible, that's printed on the back of your worship guide. And you'll also see it on the screen. 
It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. One of the schemes that Satan will bring against your life to defeat you is the scheme of isolation. First and foremost, he will seek to separate you from your God. As Josh said last week, uh, before you become a Christian, Satan has you just where he wants you, isolated or separated from God. In In first John, the fourth chapter, in verse four, it says this, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that is true. Greater is he who is in us if we are followers of Jesus Christ than he, our enemy, who is in the world. But that's not true if you're not a follower of Christ. In fact, the very definition of what it means to be a non-believer or a non-Christian is that you are separated from God. One of the scriptures that I think that best describes this is one that we look at from time to time, and that is a scripture that comes from Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it talks about what our problem is, which is sin. And sin is real easy to understand. It is the middle letter, it is I. It's when I decide that I'm smarter than God and I wanna be the God of my own life, and as a result, I push God out of my life. And here's a God who created me, who knows what's best for me, who wants to help me live my life, who wants to take me to heaven when I die. Not a real smart move to push him out of our life, but that's exactly what's happened. The Bible says when we are sinners or when we control our own life, that the wages or the result of that is death. And as we've talked about this passage before, anytime you see the word death in the Bible, you could substitute the word separated or isolation. When a person dies physically, they are isolated from their body or separated from their body. When you go to a funeral and you look at someone who's laying there in a casket, it does not look like they are asleep, does it? It looks like they're dead. There's a difference, why? Because the very person has been separated from the body that they lived in all those years. That's physical death. Spiritual death is when we become our own God, we push the true God out of our life, and that's the separation or the isolation from God. Now, obviously, the good news is that Jesus Christ came to remedy that. God has drawn a bridge that is a funny-shaped bridge, but I think you'll recognize it. It is Jesus coming to die for our sins so that we could be reunited and live in a life relationship with God. And that doesn't begin just when we die and go to heaven one day. It begins right now on this earth. As we accept him as our Christ, our sacrifice on the cross, as we accept him as Lord or the boss of our life, we move from isolation to intimacy with God. Now, here's the question I have for you today. Have you crossed that bridge? Didn't ask if you know the story. Everybody knows the story. So here's the problem in America today. The problem is that there's a lot of people who are dating God, but they've never gotten married to God. 
What's the difference between dating someone and marrying someone? That's right, it's an easy answer, commitment. It's where you enter into a unique relationship with one person you don't have with anyone else. And to become a Christian is to enter into a, rela- a, a unique relationship with Jesus Christ where you're trusting that what Jesus Christ did on the cross and that alone will get you to heaven and you're trusting him to be the Lord or the master of the boss of your life. Here's the question again, have you crossed the bridge? Have you come to a point in your life where you've accepted God's invitation to be reunited with him? There's a scripture in Isaiah that says this in Isaiah 59 two. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. See, there's some of you who struggle against the evil one because you don't have someone inside of you. You don't have the spirit of God inside of you because you've never trusted him to forgive you and to take control of your life. And you wonder why you struggle with some of your habits and you wonder why you struggle to be the kind of dad that you want to be or the kind of mom that you want to be. And the answer is not to try harder. The answer is not even to come to church more often. The answer is not found in self-help books. The answer is found as you enter into a unique relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross for you and I. Has that happened? Until that happens, you are guaranteed defeat. Satan will defeat you time and time again because his goal is to isolate you from your source of life and power, which is a relationship with God. Now, for many who are here, that equation was settled a long time ago, and yet uh, you continue to find yourself pulling away from God, even though the relationship is there, the fellowship is not there. It's an interesting image that we find in Genesis, the first chapter, uh, first few chapters, actually. Uh, one is a, an image of Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that they walked in the garden with God on a daily basis. And you see this beautiful, perfect garden where God is providing all that they need, and they're walking with God each day. But you go a few chapters into Genesis, and you find Adam and Eve separating themselves from God because they thought they were smarter than him, that he wasn't providing everything they thought they needed. And the next scene, you find them cowering, hiding from God in the bushes. Two images. Today, which of those two images represents where you are in your relationship with God? You get up in the morning and your feet swing around and they hit the carpet or the stone. Are you walking with God every day? Or for some reason, do you find yourself hiding from God as if somehow he's mad at you and you're trying to avoid a confrontation with him? It's one or the other. And what Satan wants to do, Satan wants us to live in that second image of separation or isolation from God. But because of what Christ did on the cross, it doesn't have to be that way. Again, some, many of you have already settled that equation a long time ago, but if, God, if Satan cannot separate you from your God, then Satan will separate you from your God's truth or his word. And the reason Satan would seek to do that is because God's word is the primary way that God wants to guide us, he wants to coach us, he wants to encourage us, he wants to protect us. And Satan knows that if he can't separate you from your God, he could separate you from God's truth and therefore he could deceive you and I. 
There's a wonderful scripture that's found in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And Ephesians, the sixth chapter, takes the metaphor of one going into battle. And, and we're encouraged as we go into this spiritual battle to put on all the armor so that we can win the battle. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's actually where we got the title for this series. Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. First of all, put on the helmet of salvation, which allows you to no longer be in isolation from God, but in unity with God. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in this metaphor, it, it has us imagine that the word of God or the truth of God is like a sword. Now, here's what's interesting about Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Of all the armament that it encourages us to put on so that we can stand against the evil one, the only armament that is an offensive weapon is the sword. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love it when the defense becomes the offense. Don't you love to watch a football game where all of a sudden the defense strips the ball out and they run for a touchdown? Or they intercept a pass and they score a touchdown. I love it when the defense becomes an offense. And as we're talking about standing against the schemes of the evil one, there is a way where you can take new ground. That you can actually do damage yourself. But I want you to think about that metaphor with me. If you were seeking to hold a sword, the word of God... And you didn't fully grasp it. What if instead of holding it tightly like I'm there, what if you only held the sword with your pinky? How, how well would you do in a battle if you were trying to fight and all you had was your pinky? Uh, when I was a high school student, I ran across an illustration about how to get a good grasp on God's word from Campus Crusade. And it used the illustration of the hand to talk about how we could fully grasp the word of God. And it said that pinky would be like hearing God's word. By the way, God bless you for being here today. God bless you for joining us online to hear God's word. And hearing God's word will help you stand against the evil one. But it's not enough. We need a full grasp of the word of God. And so the suggestion is that we not only hear God's word, but we also read God's word. You see, there's some of us who are auditory learners and others who are visual learners. Others are kinesthetic learners. They have to actually feel and do in order to learn. But here's what we know about all of us, that if we do all three, there's a greater likelihood that we learn something. And I define learning as change behavior. And so we not only hear God's word, but we read God's word. That's why we encourage you to shoot for seven, hit five. You hear it over and over and over again. We're gonna keep saying it until you start doing it. And that's where you seek to read one chapter of God's word every day. And if you hit five days a week, consider it a success. Shoot for seven, hit five. But more than just hearing God's word and reading God's word, to study God's word. You say, well, Steve, what's the difference between reading and studying? It's where you slow down. You create some speed bumps to ask some questions like, who wrote this? And to whom were they writing it? What was the circumstance there? Is this a, a descriptive passage to tell you what someone's doing? Or is it prescriptive to tell you what we ought to do as well? What in here have I learned that I could apply to my life right now? It's where we go a little deeper and make application is when we study. And then perhaps even to go a, a, a step further to memorize God's word. 
what we encourage people to do all the time is shoot for seven, hit five, but in that process of a month, to pick out one verse, just one simple verse or a short passage that jumped off of the pages and grabbed your heart or your head and to put it on your mobile device or to put it on a card and carry it with you and to say it over and over again until you memorize that scripture. In James it says this, it says thy word, rather in Psalms 119 it says this, it says thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. In James it says receive the engrafted word of God with meekness. Let it sear into your mind. Have you taken that challenge to shoot for seven, hit five? Have you taken the challenge to memorize just one scripture a month? Now, some of you are out there and you're fairly competitive people. You say, one a month, that's not very much. I can do more than that. Well, hey, try memorizing one scripture a month for the next 10 years. And all of a sudden, you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna have this library of the truth of God. It says in John, it says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, can take one of those scriptures at the right time when you're about to do something really stupid and throw it into your conscious mind and warn you of the pitfall or the consequences of that action. Or it can take a verse when you're down and discouraged to encourage you and give you hope. Or when you begin to think like other people think and you begin to have a worldview instead of a God view that he can take and correct it with his scripture. And what we do when we, when we take and we have a better grasp on the word of God, it can do more damage for the kingdom of God. And then to meditate upon God's word. And meditate simply means to take the word that you've heard or the word that you've read or the word that you've studied or the word that you've memorized and to think about it deeply. To think about all the ways that that applies to your life and how it applies to your relationships and as it applies to your thinking as well as your actions and get all of the vitamins and all the minerals and all of the wealth out of that. Do you have a good grasp on God's word? I had an upgrade on my phone uh, this last week that I don't like very much, I've already discovered. It's a new thing that once a week it tells me how much screen time I've had. It's really kind of embarrassing. Uh, which is none of your business how much screen time I have. <laughs> but I was challenged when I saw it because I thought about how much time I have spent this past week in God's word in comparison. That doesn't have to be screen time. It can be your favorite hobby or your favorite sport or Netflix or whatever. How does that compare with the time that we're spending in the perfect law of liberty? What is described in James is a mirror that if we could look into, we could see where we are and what we might be and then be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Have you made space in your life for God's word? Again, God bless you for being here today. God bless you for joining us online. But don't just pinky it, would you? Now, if Satan can't, separate us from our God and if he can't separate us from God's truth the third thing he does is he seeks to separate us from God's people and if you go back to the book of Genesis in the very beginning it says that God created night and day and when he finished he said it's good and then he created the sky and he said that's good as well and he created 
the land and separated it from the sea. And he said, that is very good. And then he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And once again, he pronounced it as good. He created the sea creatures and the land beast. And he said again and again, it's good, it's good. And then he created man. And right after he created man, for the very first time, our perfect creator declared something not to be good. He said, it's not good that man is alone. Therefore, I'll do something about it. I will create community for him. I will create a help fit, a help fit for him, suitable for him. And he created the first marriage, and after that he created the first family, and after that he created the first community. Because God knows that it's not good that man should be alone. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, in verse 24, it says it this way, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. You see, it's God's will for us to have close Christian friendships that will help us realize God's purpose for our life. And so it begs the question, doesn't it? Do you have a few close Christian friends? Do you have a few close Christian friends? Very, very interesting scripture is found in Proverbs, the 18th chapter, verse 24. It says this. It says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's an interesting scripture. Can you have too many friends? According to the scripture, you can you see, there's so many of us that have a tendency to have relationships that are a mile wide but only a centimeter deep. You know, we, we know everybody, we shake a lot of hands, we know a lot of names, we kiss a lot of babies, but we don't have those deep relationships that serve us well, where we're close enough to someone that they could be rude to us for Jesus' sake. Ask us those hard questions about our family and our finances, and about our habits, and our sins. Do you have a few close Christian friends? If you go back to the, uh, the Ecclesiastes pas passage, it talks about uh, two working together and having a better return for their labor, M mutual effort. It talks about them having mutual support. If one is, uh, falls down, the other one can help them up. It talks about mutual encouragement. It talks about how can one be warm if he's all alone. It talks about mutual protection. If one can be defeated, then two are not so easily defeated. Do you have people close enough to you that they can help you for the kingdom? Uh, there was a study that was done at Yale several years ago by David Levinson, and in that study he found out that only six out of 10 women have a close peer relationship that's marked by openness and mutual commitment. Only six out of 10. In that same study, he noted that only one out of 10 men have such a relationship of openness and mutual commitment. Why is it hard for those of us who are men to be close to others? Part of it is obviously pride. I kind of, I can do it all by myself. Another, I think, is fear. We're afraid if we get close enough that someone actually sees through the image we're trying to project and really would know us, they wouldn't accept us. They'd be critical of us. 
Sometimes it's busyness. Sometimes as men, we're so task-oriented that we neglect relationships. And relationships do take time, and they don't seem to be bottom-line kind of things. And so we don't take the effort to do that. Uh, sometimes it's mobility. If you live in a neighborhood, that neighborhood, uh, half the people who are there now, 10 years from now, will not be there because of the mobility uh, in our nation. And many times we think, well, wh why even go to all the effort if that relationship is not going to last any longer than that? And sometimes it's just inertia, isn't it? Uh, it's just so hard to take the risk to step outside of our current patterns and do something different. See, we've, we've talked about uh, life groups here over and over again, and, and, and if I were to ask you about that today, you, you would say, yeah, I know that's something I need to do, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Let's, let's talk a little bit about life groups. I think it's one of God's plans for the church, one of the primary uh, strategies for the church for people to get into the kind of relationships that we're talking, close Christian friendships. See, it's so easy just to hang out in the auditorium and be anonymous. It's risky to go and, and find a life group. So we have life groups that meet before or after all of our services at all of our campuses. These groups are usually between 25 and 40 people who get together and they have a discussion about God's word. And I know many people are hesitant to get in those groups because they feel insecure, like they don't know enough about the Bible. That's where you find out about the Bible. And the truth is, is that most of the people in there are right where you are. And we're sensitive to the fact that we're not gonna ask you to answer a question or to read out loud or to pray out loud. You, you can allow it to be as participatory as you feel comfortable with, but that's where you find out about God's word. And then out of those groups, we have what we call growth groups. And a growth group is eight to 10 people who attend the same life group who've decided to do life together, at least on, on some level. And so they make a commitment to get together at least once a month to fellowship, to have, go to a restaurant together or to have potluck or go on a family picnic or even go out and do a mission project together. And then it's our hope as people move from being anonymous in the auditorium to get to know some friendships in our church and then to begin to uh, really do life with a group of people that that would play itself out into accountable relationships where two or three guys would meet together and hold each other accountable, two or three gals would do the same. Now here's what we know, that to move from being anonymous in the auditorium to have a meaningful, close Christian friendship, that whole process is about a two-year journey. So you better get started. As you leave today at, at uh, all of our kiosks around the concourse, there's opportunities for you to grab a map that has a list of our life groups. And to begin that journey next week of visiting a life group until you find one that fits you, that there are people that you have something in common with who are in the same life stage. Because not to do so is to fall into one of the schemes of the evil one who would seek to separate you, to isolate you from God's people. I want you to hear Angie's story today. Um, my name is Angie Gamble and I'm married to Kyle. I have two kids, Jackson is nine and Landon is seven. Jackson is my special needs kiddo. And uh, when he was an infant, he was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And then when he was two, he was diagnosed with autism. And um, the combination of both of those diagnoses was devastating. Um, there was a lot of grief and it was just a really, really hard time. 
I really isolated myself. I pulled back from friends. I pulled back um, just because I just didn't feel like my other friends understood. You know, my son wasn't making the progress and developing typically. I didn't give my friends the opportunity to be a friend to me, to bless me, to show up. I kind of shut them out because I just thought they don't get it. That's what life group's for. That's what the church is for. That's why we are in the body of Christ. And I was trying to do it all on my own. In John 9, um, we read about how uh, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, about the blind man and why he was blind. Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And he said, no, he didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in, in him. And I have just seen the works of God displayed in my son Jackson. And we are so thankful for all that he has done for him. Do you see how the evil one tried to take a family situation and create a wedge between her, her and her God, between her and her friends, between her and the word of God? But she did not yield to that. She had a breakthrough, her answer her victory was found in drawing close to her God, drawing close to her life group and her friends. And out of the word of God, she found the truth, the insight, and she is finding, it's a process, she is finding victory. And so can you. If he divides us, he will conquer us. But if we will enter into a relationship with God, with his word and with his people, we will find victory. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we are not alone, that you promised you would never leave us nor forsake us, that you place in our hearts and our minds the spirit of God, and that you've given us your word to guide us and to protect us, and that you've given us a community called the church. And I pray, dear Father, that every single person who is here, who's isolated on any level, those who are isolated from you because they're not Christians, would cross that line today. Those who are isolated from your word because they're just so busy and they're moving and going that they've not made a space for your word in their life. That those, dear Father, who are not in a life group and not in a growth group and not in accountable close Christian friendships would take the next step this week to move into those relationships. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the opposite of isolation is love. There is nothing more powerful than love unleashed in our life. It is love which allows us to overcome. Let's stand and sing about that right now. We're gonna teach you this new song that declares that love that overcomes. So let's sing this out together. Where can I go? Where can I? Where can I run where your love doesn't follow every doubt and every fear is bowing down to you, Jesus, your
Once again, where can I go? Where can I run? Sing it out. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.